Mormon Discussions and its lineup of great podcasts is about helping Latter-day Saints like you tackle deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping these podcasts alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the programs on this podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber. Or making a donation at mormondiscussions.org. Again, that's Mormon Discussions, plural with an S on the end, dot org. Donate today and support programs like Mormon Discussion, Radio Free Mormon, Mormon Awakenings, The Mormon Wellness Project, Mormon History Podcast, Marriage on a Tightrope, and others. If these programs benefit you, and you want to see these continue, please consider making an annual donation starting today. All donations are tax-exempt inside the United States, and go towards keeping the podcast alive. Mormon Discussion and its lineup of great programs. Helping you navigate Mormonism one episode at a time. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful for this chance to be with you today. This is going to be an episode where we're going to review the talk by Elder Kevin W. Pearson, Do Not Leave the Savior. This was on LDS.org's front site for uh, about two weeks. It's not there anymore, I don't think, but the audio is available. The talk is available. We're going to borrow the audio today and we're going to critique it. Here's the problem. When the church says, do not leave the Savior, there's no if, ands, or buts. What they're really saying is, do not leave the church. So we'll go through the audio. We'll stop it from time to time. We'll talk about some of the issues that are going on in here. Uh, And with that, let's begin. Young Adults, Do Not Leave the Savior by Elder Kevin W. Pearson of the Seventy. We live in tumultuous times. But the question is not how the church will fare, Rather, how will you and I fare? Several years ago, I met a friend for lunch. We hadn't seen each other for many years. During my high school and early college days, he had been one of my closest friends. He was one of the strongest and most committed young men I knew. We attended seminary together, played sports together, attended the university together, prepared for missions together, and left for missions a few months apart. After our missions, he married a talented and wonderful woman from my stake. So I simply want to recognize here that uh, this young man was committed to the gospel. Now, we should ask the question, what is he committed to? Is he committed to the church? Is he committed to the gospel? Is he committed to being a good person? Is he committed to to, uh, serving his community? What's he committed to? But also a recognition that whatever it is, Elder Pearson sees him as deeply committed and This young man married a wonderful, talented woman. And we ought to recognize early in the story that this this couple that Elder Pearson is speaking about, these are good people who have built their life on being good people and doing the right things. As the years passed, our lives took different courses. We moved to different cities and eventually lost touch with one another. I still remember how stunned I was to hear that he and his wife had left the church. Of all those I knew in my youth, he was the last one I would ever have thought would leave the church. They left the church. They left the church. Notice here throughout this article, there is zero mention of Jesus. In fact, this is going to be interesting. 
as you listen to this, look for how many times Christ and Jesus is mentioned. Look if there's any kind of articulation in this article that somebody could leave the church and still be a follower of Jesus. Such space isn't made. That's what unhealthy, high-demand, fundamentalist Christian religions do. They mix up the idea, and, and beyond Christianity, by the way, they mix up the idea that following God is only a po- you know, God, following God is only happening if one is inside that institution. So he announces here they've left the church. There's another note, which is he says these are the last people in the world he thought would leave the church. That's important. Here's why. Because if you follow the narrative, if you follow the journeys and the stories of those who are leaving the church, having lost their faith in this machine, it was those who were most dedicated. It was those who cared the most about the truth of this narrative. It was those who read and studied and thought about and deconstructed and reconstructed as they came across new information. These are the people who cared. They're the people that the... Uh, people still believing, the people still going, go, yeah, that was the last person I expected to leave the church. Maybe we ought to ask ourselves why that is. At lunch, we reminisced over the friendship that had meant so much to both of us. We laughed again at some of the crazy experiences of our earlier days. We talked about our families and tried to close the gap of time. In this little comment is the fact that this is still a good person. They're enjoying their lunch together. They're laughing. They're talking. He enjoys his company. This is still a good person. Finally, I asked the obvious question. Tim, what happened? You were so deeply converted and committed. Why did you leave the church? Why did you leave the church? Not why did you leave the Savior? Why did you leave the church? The church and the Savior are the same thing in Mormonism. To a Mormon, the church is Christ. It's why we don't talk about him and instead we focus on the authority of the leaders. The church is Jesus. One cannot leave the church without leaving Jesus also in Mormonism. Such is not okay. And then I want to say here a positive. Thank you, Elder Pearson, for asking them the question, why did you leave the church? So thank you for asking. I'm not okay with us convoluting church and Jesus together as one, but thank you for asking them. It seems strange. I was talking to my wife last night and one of my kids. So whenever somebody leaves, right? Like they were all in, they were dedicated, they were doing this Mormon thing. And all of a sudden they come across the messy information. They come across the deception. They come across the dishonesty at the top of the church. They come across all the stories that aren't true and don't add up and they step away. And you would think that their loved ones, their mother, their father, their brother, their sister would go like, wait a minute, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let me sit down with you. There's got to be good answers. I don't know what you came across, but I, I, I worry that maybe you're, you misunderstood the information. Let me sit down with you. Let me ask you questions. Let's see if we can figure this out. But that's not what happens most of the time. That's not what happens. People go, uh, oh, oh boy, stay away from them. Stay. They've got something. They've got the plague. I don't know what it is. If, if I get anywhere near them, I might catch that too. Think about that for a moment. What does that say? What does that speak to? To me, it seems like what it speaks to is that all of us as Mormons 
we begin to understand somewhere deep inside, conscious or unconscious, that this thing doesn't add up. And if I start dissecting it, I'm going to lose my testimony too. You don't know how many people have come to me and said, yeah, my brother, my mother, my father, my sister, my kid. They said, I don't want to get into that data. I don't want to get into that information. I'll I'll lose my testimony too if I do it. I know there's things there. I know there's stuff there that that doesn't add up. I'd rather stay over here and, uh, and just pretend it all is fine. I've had that happen at this point a hundred times. And I'm not, I'm not embellishing. Like literally, I've had that happen a hundred times. Why won't people sit and ask, why did you leave? Let me see if I can dive into this with you and see if I can figure out what the good answers are. Why, why did you go? Why did you step back? You were so committed. These people were so committed, Elder Pearson. Why did they leave the church? Again, you haven't yet mentioned leaving the Savior. What caused you to walk away from your temple covenants? Have you also left the Savior? So he asked the question, what caused you to walk away from your temple covenants? Great question, but that's an important one. Elder Pearson, think about it. This person who you admit was upstanding, who was the last person you thought would leave the church, and they made promises to God. And, and I bet, Elder Pearson, you understood they probably took those really seriously, right? So why did they do something counter to their temple covenants? Elder Pearson, are you really ready to sit and to listen to why they left? And then you ask, did you also leave the Savior? Now, your friends don't answer that. And yet the title of your article is, Will You Leave the Savior? They didn't tell you if they did or didn't. And we'll get to that here in a second. But what a presumption on your part. What a presumption that leaving the church must mean in the end of the day, even if they don't answer the question, that they've left the Savior. We promised one another that we would be true and faithful to the end of our lives. You're right, Elder Pearson. They promised to live the gospel They promised to build the kingdom. They made covenants. And as you pointed out, these were the last people you thought would leave. Elder Pearson, why did they leave the church? Now, let's hear their answer. Kevin, he replied, I simply see things differently now. My view of the church and its teachings has changed. I don't hate the church. I just don't need it anymore. Elder Pearson, Do you know what your friend just told you? First, your friend told you that you're not a safe space to have an in-depth conversation. That in some way, your body language, your past behavior, your past conversation, the way in which you asked the questions, that they assumed you were going to shame them for telling you what really happened. You see, they don't tell you like, hey, things changed. We simply see things differently. Our view of the church and its teachings has changed. I don't hate the church. I just don't need it anymore. You see that? They didn't give you an answer. Let's, let's think about the reasons why, Elder Pearson. It's because, one, you weren't a safe space to have that conversation. Number two is that they didn't want to wreck your shelf. They didn't want to add anything on to you. They didn't want to sit and say, like, man, it's just all bullshit. It just doesn't add up. 
The leaders told a bunch of false stories. The leader taught a bunch of things and changed their minds. The leaders contradicted themselves at every turn. These guys are currently lying about growth. Like, if we're honest, Elder Pearson, they didn't trust you to open up and to tell you the specifics. So they gave you the generalities because they didn't want to hurt you and because you weren't a safe space and because they were worried what would happen if they did tell you the specifics. Would you do something that would marginalize them further? Again, ask yourself, Elder Pearson, why they, this friend of yours, who you love and care about, who you sat with at lunch and had a conversation with, who you feel is important to your life, ask them why they didn't get specific with you. Why didn't they trust you, Elder Pearson? As we concluded our visit, I expressed my love and gratitude for a friendship I still value. But Elder Pearson, they didn't value your friendship enough. They didn't trust your friendship enough to be honest and vulnerable and authentic. They gave you generalities because they didn't trust you enough to tell you what really happened. They have a long story. This didn't happen overnight, Elder Pearson. They found out that something in the church, and I can almost guarantee you, Elder Pearson, they found a thousand things in the church that weren't what they claimed to be. The entire intricate foundation they built around the church being true and what its foundational narrative was and the way in which the church treats other people it all crashed. And there's a long story there. Hours, hours of a long story. I read this. I wrestled with that. I couldn't come to grips with this. I couldn't make that work. All of these things, Elder Pearson, are specifics. And they didn't trust you enough to tell you. And now you're about to go on and decide what that meant rather than give them the space to tell their own story. Elder Pearson, what you're about to do is an abomination. You're about to tell another person's story inaccurately. Then, with deep feeling, I expressed my testimony. Tim, I know these things are true, and you know they're true, too. You have always known. You've simply lost the clarity you once had. Elder Pearson, that is jacked. Elder Pearson, you have no right to tell another human being what they believe and what they think. You have no right to impose on another person that they are mistaken in the way that you did. You don't have a right to say, I know you just told me that this doesn't add up. I know you just told me that things have changed. I know you just told me that you do not believe in Mormonism anymore, but you still do. That is abusive. Can you see why your friend didn't trust you, Elder Pearson? You just stepped in when your friend didn't trust you enough to tell you the specifics of their story, and you just justified why they were right in doing that. They were right in doing that because you were going to hijack their story anyway. You were going to tell yourself whatever you needed to so that you could walk away from the table and feel okay. But the reality, Elder Pearson, is they don't believe. They don't believe anymore. Why? Because most people who dive deeply into Mormonism's narrative and history and its social positions 
decide that Mormonism is not what it claims to be. Elder Pearson, that's the reality. So you have no right to impose on the majority of people who dive into this data and decide this thing is not what it claims to be to then tell those people they do still believe. That's abusive. And it's the very reason your friends were right in not trusting you to hold space for their story. But you can regain the light and understanding of the Holy Ghost you once had. Please come back. Elder Pearson, they could also extend a similar thing back, which is Elder Pearson, if you study out the church's narrative, if you sit with the tough questions and you walk their logic out, if you open yourself up, Elder Pearson, to asking what's the most reasonable, rational way to put this data together, Elder Pearson, you will also discover that the church is not what it claims to be. That's a fact. That's a fact, Elder Pearson. The church told a story, and that story doesn't just fail at this spot or that spot. It fails at every turn. There are deep problems and logical questions that can't be answered about every single facet of this church's narrative. So bad, in fact, that over the last decade, the church has slowly had to rewrite its entire story. Everything. What is the inspired translation of the Bible? What's the book of Moses? What's the book of Abraham? What's the book of Mormon? What does translation mean? How do we think about polygamy? How do we think about race and priesthood? How do we get rid of all the stories we told that don't add up? How do we add in stories that are more true? How do we deal with the fact that our leaders said a thousand things in the past that we no longer hold up to? What does that mean about what a prophet is? How come our leaders are dishonest about the growth of the church in the present moment? Elder Pearson, the majority of people who dive into the data decide this thing does not add up. We embraced as we said goodbye and he whispered, I admire your conviction and passion, but how can you be so sure? Elder Pearson, he didn't say that with the tone that you used. You said that question in a way that he was sincerely looking at you and going like, I don't know. I, I, I have some uncertainty. How, how do you know, Elder Pearson? How do you know? That's not the tone he used. Elder Pearson, the way he asked it was, you're so sure, and yet you do not have a clue of the thousand directions this goes in that don't add up. How do you know that you're right? Maybe you're the one who's wrong, Elder Pearson. It was said with that tone. It was said with that motive, that question in his head. But let's be honest, Elder Pearson, telling the story was never really about rescuing your friend. Telling the story was about reassuring and marginalizing and shaming. It was about reassuring those in the church who still believe and marginalizing and shaming those in the church who have questions to not go down this path that your friend did to just hide it, to stow it away, to stay in the background, to live in the shadows. As I walked away, I reflected deeply on the choices we had made and on their impact on our lives and on the lives of our children and grandchildren. My young friends, please don't let what happened to my friend Tim happen to you. Elder Pearson, again you hijack this 
What happened to him? You don't tell us, the listener. Was, it, was he miserable? Was he in depression? Was he in and out of the, the hospital because of suicidal ideation? Uh, like, what happened, Elder Pearson? What, did he lose his job? Was he unemployed? Was he homeless living out of his car? Or was he happy and content? And yet you use your words as a way to say, like, don't be like him. Don't fall apart like he did. That's not fair. It's not fair, Elder Pearson. What you did was wrong. Again, you're telling another human being's story. Not all Mormons' lives go well either. Not all Mormons' lives go fine. Even those who keep their covenants, keep their sacred promises, some of them, their lives fall apart. Don't be like my friend. No, don't be like Elder Pearson and tell another human being's story. It's not okay. It's abusive and it's inappropriate. Don't use it as a shaming mechanism on the members of the church either. Are you as steadfast, immovable, and converted as you think you are? When you encounter the inevitable and necessary challenges of life, where will you turn for peace and understanding? When your life gets dark and dreary, will you still instinctively and consistently think to pray? I've got a better question, Elder Pearson. My young brothers and sisters, when you read about the church and nothing adds up, when you find out, brothers and sisters, that every story the church told in its correlated curriculum is either unfounded, untrue, inaccurate, embellished at best, what will you do? Brothers and sisters, my young friends, when you discover that leaders of the church are dishonest about the status in the present moment about this church, when this church is dishonest, about the full scope of the race and priesthood and how the church has treated those of color. My brothers and sisters, when you decide that LGBT people are just human beings who deserve the same opportunities in life that you do, and you find out how mean and hurtful and wrong this church has been in treating those folks over the church's history, what will you do, my young friends, when you discover that this church has told you an entirely problematic narrative that doesn't hold up. What will you do? Will you too leave like my friend? As criticism of the church, its history, its leaders, and its teachings increases, where will you stand? Ooh, Elder Pearson, I think I just caught you being deceptive. Here's why. Your friend didn't tell you their story, right? Isn't that what you said? Didn't you say their answer was things had changed? Like they had just talked in generalities. They didn't tell you why they left. They didn't name anything specific, at least according to your version of the story here. Ah, but you just now responded that as criticism of the church, its history, and its leaders, and its teachings increases. Elder Pearson, I seem to think I know what your friend told you, but strangely, you didn't want to pass that story on to these young people that you're talking to. Hmm, me wonders why. Is it perhaps, Elder Pearson, that to raise honest, sincere objections to the church and its history would cause doubt in these young people that you've written this talk to. Hmm. 
Seems strange that your friend didn't tell you, but then you impose on these young people the reason this conversation's taking place. That criticism of the church, its history, its leaders, and its teachings are going to increase. And that seems to point at the reason why your friend left. Did your friend actually trust you enough to tell you the specifics? And then you, in order to be deceptive, didn't want to tell these young people that you'd written this to? Hmm. Me would like to talk to you, Elder Pearson, because I think I just figured out what's going on. And to the listener right now, let me also point out that Elder Pearson seems to recognize that there are problems. Because Elder Pearson seems to recognize that as the internet and information age grows, that those problems are only going to become more obvious to you. So my dear young friends, as you become more and more aware that every single facet and story of this church's foundational narrative and the way it treats people, both in the here and now, as well as throughout its history, run counter to your expectation of God's true and living church, what are you going to do? As the beliefs and practices of an ever-darkening world collide with the principles of the restored gospel, what will you do? Elder Pearson, don't blame a wicked world. Elder Pearson, what we're talking about here is that the church's narrative and foundational story don't add up. Don't blame the victim, Elder Pearson. Elder Pearson, why are you unwilling to have a conversation with these young people about the million contradictions in Mormonism. Why, Elder Pearson, are you unwilling to tell these young people that this church has enough problems in its history and its behavior to justify why people walk away? Elder Pearson, don't blame the victim. You're better than that. Will ye also go away? Some of Satan's most effective weapons are distraction deception, and spiritual desensitization. Each erodes faith, obscures vision, and skews perspective. Together they constitute the great challenge of our time. Satan uses them not simply to undermine Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon, church doctrine, and church leaders, but also to attack the Savior and the Father's plan. It has always been so. In this church... We have tons of human stories. We tell stories about Lucy Mack Smith and Joseph Smith Sr. We tell stories about Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer. We tell stories about Thomas Marsh and Simons Ryder, Mary Elizabeth Rawlings Leitner, William Law, William McClellan. This church has more biographies in its 200-year history than most other Christian denominations do over a much longer time span. We have so many stories of people, and yet the way we tell our stories is those who stay are good and those who leave are bad. And Elder Pearson, you're doing more of it right here. Some of Satan's most effective weapons are distraction, deception, and spiritual desensitization. Like, let's talk about those. What are we distracted by? Are we distracted by Elder Holland being dishonest about the growth of the church? 
Are we distracted by Joseph Fielding Smith storing away the 1832 account of the first vision? Are we distracted by Ronald Pullman's talk being done over again uh, with a cough track in the back so that people don't ever get a chance to really think about, dissect, and understand his first talk? Deception? Are we deceived by the dishonesty of telling our stories inaccurately? Are we deceived by your ambiguity in past articles about the book of Abraham and the problems therein? Are we deceived by Elder Ballard and Elder Oaks saying the church has never hit anything? In spiritual desensitization, do you know why that happens, Elder Pearson? It happens because the trust that people place in the church, its leaders, and its narrative is unfounded. And when they discover that, they no longer trust the mechanisms this institution used to convince them that they were the true church. That's how it happens. Each erodes faith. Each obscures vision. Each skews perspective. Together they constitute the great challenge of our time, you say. Satan, or, in other words, the people who leave over the problems in the church are simply a minion of Satan. Satan's got him. Satan's got a hold on him. Again, you blame the victim. It's an ethnocentric either-or way of seeing the world, and it's an immature way of seeing the world. It's a less developed way of seeing the world. Mormonism has a serious issue, and it's that every story it tells about people who stay is about them being faithful and good in spite of the fact that people like Orson Hyde were deeply dishonest, deceptive, and immoral. We have every story about people who leave that paints them as a bad guy fallen, the chafe, an apostate, a minion of Satan in some way, shape, or form. And such is how a cult operates. If you don't want to be a cult, don't operate like one. Elder Pearson, this was inappropriate. It blamed the victim, and it was wrong. When the inevitable fury of temptations and tribulations approach Category 5 spiritual storm conditions, will you still trust God and cling to truth? Who's truth, Elder Pearson? The version you ascribe to? Like, what is truth? Because the problem here is that if we're honest, if we dig into Mormonism, is that Mormonism has got so many things wrong that it is impossible to know what things they've got right. You see, if we look back at the things prophets have said and taught and stated, half of the time, at least when they venture out into the unknown and want to act as prophets, seers, and revelators, revealing something, giving us some new, fresh thing, half the time, at least on those instances, and I would venture to say it's probably greater than that, half the time at least, we have to disavow the things they say, talk about how those are the things written in the past, those don't represent our doctrine. So what truth? The truth that Elder McConkie taught? The truth that Joseph Fielding Smith taught? The truth that Elder Oaks teaches in the present moment? Like what truth? So every time we come up with these ideas that, that hey, will you trust God? Will you trust the truth? Elder Pearson, you don't have the truth. You're a mixed bag just like everyone else. And we have to stop telling people who leave 
Oh, those people who left, they stopped loving the truth. They just left the truth. No, it's unacceptable. It's abusive. It's inappropriate. It's unhealthy. And it's harmful. It has to stop. The penetrating question of the Savior under the Twelve is still in force today. Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Once again, we seem to want to mix up. We want to have them be the same thing. One equals the other. A equals B. Will you also go away? That was Jesus speaking about those disciples' relationship with him. It was not speaking about members of the church and their relationship to the church. People can leave Mormonism and still be exceptional human beings who value truth above all things, who live righteous lives, and who seek and receive inspiration from the source of it. And to diminish them any time someone steps away from this institution that is a complete and utter mess of contradiction, falsities, inaccuracies, and deception is inappropriate. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. I am reminded of a powerful statement by President Heber C. Kimball, first counselor in the first presidency. The saints had safely arrived in the Salt Lake Valley and were quite pleased with themselves. Having overcome and endured so much, they were a bit prideful and overconfident. Elder Pearson, is it possible that you're a bit prideful and overconfident? Is it possible that Elder Oaks, uh, in his recent conference talk about those who are LGBT and, and some of the quotes that came out of that talk, is it possible that he's a bit prideful? And overconfident. Is it possible that leaders of the church, when they have ventured off into the weeds and been wrong over and over again, that they were a bit prideful and overconfident? Elder Pearson, is it possible that when certain leaders are dishonest about the growth of the church or about the issues that arise or are ambiguous intentionally about the problems that lie in our very face about every tangent of this of this church? Is it possible that they're prideful and overconfident? President Kimball stated, Let me say to you that many of you will see the time when you will have all the trouble, trial, and persecution that you can stand, and plenty of opportunities to show that you are true to God and His work. To meet the difficulties that are coming, it will be necessary for you to have a knowledge of the truth of this work for yourselves. If you have not got the testimony, live right and call upon the Lord, and cease not till you obtain it. If you do not, you will not stand. That perspective is us versus them. Black and white. Good and bad. And such does not work in 2018. It's a less developed view. It doesn't hold up. It simply preaches from a space that is ignorant and uninformed of how this world works. The time will come when no man nor woman will be able to endure on borrowed light. Each will have to be guided by the light within himself. If you do not have it, how can you stand? Does it ever cross anyone's mind in leadership 
that the people who leave have done just that. They're no longer on borrowed light. They're no longer assuming that people around them gave them the truth. Instead, they looked for themselves. They deconstructed. They sat with. They prayed about. They pleaded with God over. They sought truth in serious ways. What did they find? They found that the church's leaders were dishonest, that they weren't what they claimed they were, that the history falls apart at every turn, and that this church treats those who are different, who don't fit into its theology, like shit. They're not living on borrowed light anymore, Elder Pearson. You're right. They're not. They figured it out. We live in tumultuous times. But the question is not how the church will fare, rather, how will you and I fare? Elder Pearson, why can't we ask how the church will fare? Let's ask that. How's the church faring? Church isn't faring too good. The church seems to protect sexual predators. It seems to create spaces of sexual abuse. It seems to have a history whose foundational truth claims are more problematic than any other place in history I've researched or looked into. It has numerous examples of its leaders standing up and teaching false doctrine. It has numerous examples of its leaders being deceptive or intentionally ambiguous so as to protect its members from the messiness of its own history. It seems to treat people who are different than it like crap. It seems to hurt them and cause the suicide rate in Utah to quadruple and still on the rise. Elder Pearson, how is the church faring? I would have to say not so well. So you're right. It's a good mechanism, Elder Pearson, to say, don't look at the church. Don't judge the church. Judge you. But again, what you did was blame the victim. And again, it's unacceptable. It's not okay. The standard of truth has been erected. No unhallowed hand can stop the work from progressing. Whether you and I progress with it is the only unknown. If you mean by no unhallowed hand can stop this work from progressing, that I'm sure what you're pointing to is the fact that leaders over decades and even a century and almost two have taught that this is the stone cut out of the mountain without hands that shall fill the earth. So, Elder Pearson, if you're right, the church will continue to experience growth in terms of a growing membership of the church until the Savior himself comes again. But if I'm right, Elder Pearson, which is that the church is pretty much stagnated and is about to enter a serious decline, and people are going to begin to walk away to the extent that the church has to reflect through the data it shares that it's actually losing membership. And the church seems to know this, Elder Pearson. Maybe you haven't gotten the memo yet. Because Elder Cook just taught us in the last general conference, although we'll have members all over the earth, we're always going to be few in number. Now, a growing church doesn't have to say that. Because a growing church can say that some point in the future, we're not going to be few in number. And that's the sign that we're the stone cut out of the mountain without hands. Now remember, no unhallowed hand can stop the progress of this work. And sadly, only time will tell 
maybe 40, 50 years, 60 years, and you'll be dead by then, and most assuredly I'll probably be dead by then too. But we'll find out, Elder Pearson, whether you were right or whether I was right. How to Survive Spiritually I suggest six essential things each of us must do to survive spiritually. Number one, love and obey God first. Elder Pearson has already told us what this means throughout this article and throughout the rest of it. Loving God means to stay in the LDS Church, being faithful in spite of the fact that things don't add up, that we hurt people, and that we're deceptive about all of that. Loving and obeying God necessarily precedes loving and serving others. Sequence is important. Nephi taught, For the Lord God giveth light unto the understanding, for he speaketh unto men according to their language, unto their understanding. Heavenly Father loves us and is always willing to give us understanding. We must, however, put him first in our lives. 2. Hold personal prayer. Prayer is essential. Except, Elder Pearson, that you've already decided what the only acceptable answer in that prayer can be. You've already lined out that anybody who goes to the Lord and gets the answer that the church is not what it claims to be and feels so hurt by the church that they feel called by God through their prayer to step away from the church, that that answer is not from God. So prayer is the most important thing for a Latter-day Saint, so long as that prayer keeps them coming every Sunday and paying a full tithing. The Prophet Joseph Smith taught, The best way to obtain truth and wisdom is not to ask it from books, he might have added blogs, but to go to God in prayer and obtain divine teaching. You will never be unworthy to pray. If you want more answers, ask more questions. Constantly seek for and pray for the influence of the Holy Ghost. This is the light the Father sends that brings understanding. Number three, seek learning, even by study and also by faith. In Mormonism, we encourage you to learn. We want you to learn by study and by faith, so long as that study and that faith lead you to stay inside the church. If that study takes you outside the church or raises serious doubts about our honesty with you, about the history we've given you, and about the way we treat others, like that learning, that's anti-Mormon. That material is not true. That material you should stay away from. The internet's not safe, so you should trust the sources we give you. So you should read the things within LDS.org and the church periodicals. You should stay away from anyone and everyone who teaches you anything outside the correlated material because we are the only people who can be trusted to give you safe material that will keep you in in spite of the fact that over our 186-year history that we haven't done a very good job of being honest with you, have given you tons of false stories, have taught you false doctrine, and have never gone back and corrected that doctrine in a way so as to tell you what the leaders in the past taught that was false. We've also never been clear with you about the problems with the book of Abraham, the first vision, priesthood restoration, uh, the other translated uh, works of Joseph Smith, including the book of Moses and the inspired translation of the Bible. And we haven't explained yet all the 19th century material in the book of Mormon. 
We haven't explained how prophets today don't act like prophets of old, how priesthood power seems to be much different in today's day and age of verifiable history, and miracles have seemed to cease. But don't worry about all that. Read your enzyme, read the standard works, listen to the living prophet, and pray and only accept answers that lead you back into the church, and then learn by study and by faith, but only if your research and your faith lead you to stay here inside Mormonism. Learning is a divine duty. Agents seek learning. Objects wait to be acted upon. Great leaders are great learners. The church needs great leaders, women and men seeking greater light and knowledge, deeper understanding and conversion. This requires commitment and dedication. You cannot find deep truths scrolling a wiki or searching the blogosphere. Remember, faith is kindled by hearing the testimony of those who have faith, not by hearing the doubts of those who have lost it. Elder Pearson, that sounds a lot like what I just said, except you said it in a way that put more shame and marginalized those who have doubts and concerns. You also pointed a negative finger at those who point at this thing and say, this doesn't add up. That's all you did, Elder Pearson, but you said the same thing I did. Number four, search the scriptures, especially the Book of Mormon, every day. Elder Pearson, this is what we call a wood tool. You see, there's certain tools which we call steel tools. Those tools are an analogy for tools that you can use to find the truth well, both within things that are true as well as things that are not true. For instance, if I were to claim that Abraham Lincoln used an iPad, we could use steel tools to decide that iPads didn't exist in the time of Abraham Lincoln. Wood tools, on the other hand, don't help us decipher truth. It doesn't matter what religion we're in, a true one or a false one. Wood tools simply suffice to keep us in that faith, wondering why things don't add up, but scared to death to step away. So for instance, wood tools. When you say search the scriptures, especially the Book of Mormon every day, let me ask you, Elder Pearson, let's set Mormonism aside. And if I said, look, we are in Scientology, you and me, Elder Pearson, we're Scientologists, you know, those weirdos up there in the Scientology building. And if I said to you, Elder Pearson, a Scientologist, we can maintain the faith if we just search Dianetics every day. If we search Dianetics every day, we'll be blessed. Now, if we look at how that works within Scientology, Elder Pearson, let's take a close look. Does Scientology do the same thing you did in your talk, which is say, those who leave are bad, those who stay are good, trust in our faith, read our book every day, and ask yourself, are the results the same? Guess what? If we look at Scientology, some people stay believing deeply that Scientology is the true faith on the earth. And other people, they lose faith in Scientology because they read stuff on the internet. They trust Wikipedia. They look at information. And they discern that Scientology is not what it claims to be. So they step away. What does Scientology do? 
It praises those who stay and condemns those who leave with different words, but the same rhetoric and articulation that you've given in this talk here. Now let's take a Jewish person who's reading just the Old Testament, just the Torah, just the five books of Moses. Does the same apply? Oh, yes, it does. Let's look at Islam. Elder Pearson, as believing Muslims, if we just search the Quran every day, focusing our faith on what's in the Quran, what will be the results, Elder Pearson? Well, guess what? There are lots of Muslims, including extremist Muslims, who'd like to kill both you and me, who read the Quran daily, and because of their deep faith placed within it, and because of their leaders teaching them to stay on the true path, they believe deeply, almost fanatically, Elder Pearson. Your words don't help someone actually discern truth. It's a big, giant wood hammer. The Book of Mormon was expressly written to protect and preserve us as we navigate the conditions of our day. Regarding its power, Nephi testified of the rod of iron. And I said unto them that it was the word of God. And whoso would hearken unto the word of God and would hold fast unto it, they would never perish. Neither could the temptations and the fiery darts of the adversary overpower them unto blindness to lead them away to destruction. If you start to feel confused and lost, start again on page 1 and immerse yourself in the Book of Mormon. 5. Focus on the Big Picture Focus on the Big Picture means don't get lost in the minutiae. Don't get lost in the details that the Book of Abraham doesn't add up. Don't get lost in the details that Joseph Smith described his first vision in different ways that seem to seriously contradict the foundational story of the Restoration. Keep an eye on the big picture. Don't worry about the fact that there's 19th century material throughout the Book of Mormon, 19th century phrases, theology. Keep your eye on the big picture. Don't worry about the fact that Richard Bushman says the dominant narrative is not true and that the church is changing its narrative drastically from the Mormonism that everybody was taught and believed in 30 years ago. Focus on the big picture, everyone. Focus on the fact that this is a big picture rather than the fact that LGBT people are being harmed by this institution. Focus on the big picture. Focus on the big picture, guys. Instead of worrying about whether specific leaders are being dishonest about the growth of the church or pretending as if we don't hide anything or being dishonest um, about the way our history goes together. Again, everybody here, it's important. Focus on the big picture. You are part of the greatest movement on earth, the gathering of Israel and preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ. You have an important role to play. You came to earth committed to being valiant in your testimony of the Savior. That is your divine identity. Focus on the big picture, Heavenly Father's plan of happiness. It is the lens of truth. It is the context for all questions, issues, and concerns. For the Spirit speaketh the truth, and lieth not. Wherefore, it speaketh of things as they really are, and of things as they really will be. Elder Pearson, you said in that section that you came to earth being committed to being valiant in your testimony of the Savior. That feels all nice and fluffy, 
But that doesn't seem to hold up when we take the giant worldview, when we step out of our own ethnocentricity, our own tribalism, and we look at the big picture and we say, like, there is seven or eight billion people on this planet. Less than 0.2% of them are Mormons, and less than, I think, 0.07 of them are active Mormons. So are you saying that just the Mormons receive the commission from God to be committed and valiant to their testimony of the Savior in the pre-mortal life? Or are you saying that all human beings promise that, but, but shame on all those human beings who somehow either aren't born into the church, where they can receive tons of wood tools, and be pushed to continue having belief in something no different than the continued belief that's pushed upon them by the other leaders of other faiths in terms of human beings. Hmm. So, who needs to be committed? Who needs to be valiant? See, you're speaking from within the tribe to other members inside the tribe about only the tribe. That fails to take into view that this is a big, big planet full of people from various walks of life and that their commitment to God, their promise to be committed to God, even if that's true in the pre-mortal life, has nothing to do with whether they're Mormon. Number six, above all else, trust in Jesus Christ. Elder Pearson, trust in Jesus Christ. Now I'm happy for the sake of our argument here to assume that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I'm happy to say that. But trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ is a very different thing than trusting in Mormonism. And those two are not interchangeably connected. One can trust wholly and fully in the Lord Jesus Christ and see Mormonism as the worst thing in the world. And to not allow a space for people to not be Mormon and to still be deeply committed and upright to the Savior and to his gospel is abusive. He is still the light and the life of the world. When you are encompassed or overwhelmed by doubt, difficulty, and temptation, trust him. When life isn't what you expected, and those you trusted disappoint and betray you, you mean like the leaders of the church? Continue to trust in Him completely. May you respond as Nephi of old in equally distressing times. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. O Lord, I have trusted in Thee, and I will trust in Thee forever. Whatever you do, do not leave the Savior. You mean the church? Because of His atonement, we are agents free to act and not to be acted upon. Each of us will stand before Almighty God and account for the light and truth we have chosen. Amen to that, Elder Pearson. I will surely account for the light and truth I've chosen. I promise you that if you will follow these principles and cling to truth, your faith will never fail. In the church. Sorry, I needed to finish that sentence for him. It seems like that got left out. You're right. If you follow Elder Pearson's lined-out suggestions in this page in all their unhealthiness, they will push you, encourage you, compel you, impose on you that the only way in which you can be a good person and be faithful to God is to stay in the church. May God bless you to always choose to look through the lens of truth by the power of the Holy Ghost. 
Well, Elder Pearson, that was a lot of fun. It wasn't very useful. It wasn't very practical. It didn't deal with the world in the way the world really works. But man, it was sure a blast. Till next time. Go.